Welcome to the Codcast. After a deadly New Hampshire crash in June that claimed the lives of seven people, we learned that the state's Registry of Motor Vehicles hadn't been doing its job. For years, the agency had been receiving paper and electronic notices from other states about violations involving Massachusetts drivers in those states. But the notices had been ignored by registry officials, left untouched in computer queues or stashed away in forgotten boxes. No one paid any attention until the crash in New Hampshire, when it was learned that the driver of the truck that allegedly caused the crash should have had his commercial driver's license suspended because of an arrest for drunken driving in Connecticut in May. After a legislative oversight hearing last week, we learned a lot more about what happened and why, and that's what we want to focus on today. I'm Bruce Moll of Commonwealth Magazine, and my first guest today is Senator Eric Lesser of Springfield, who's joining us remotely. Welcome, Senator. Thanks for having me, Bruce. Hope all is well. It is. Senator, you're a vice chair of the legislature's Transportation Committee, which held last week's seven-hour oversight hearing. Could you distill... I know it's difficult, but could you distill what you learned at that hearing? Well, wow. I mean, it's you don't even know where to start. It was it was very troubling. And I got to say, I've only I've only been in the building for about five years. I was elected in 2014, but I've I've spent quite a long time around politics. And this was one of the most shocking days I've ever had uh, in my in my career. Uh, we learned basically a couple things. Number one, there was a systemic breakdown up and down the chain of command in terms of management practices at the RMV. The second thing we learned is that there were red flags and there were warning signs along the way uh, leading up to, uh, unfortunately, the crash in New Hampshire. There were warning signs specifically about the RMV and MassDOT's ability to process these out-of-state paper notifications. And I, I thought one of the most alarming uh, revelations of the whole thing was the uh, MassDOT internal auditor that appeared and testified and and told us that she did her job. She discovered during a routine audit of the uh, MRB, the Merit uh, Merit Review Board, that um, there were nearly 13,000 notifications sitting in an electronic queue that were unprocessed. And she told the proper officials at the RMV and the MRB about that backlog. And unfortunately, nothing was done in time. So it was very troubling all along the way. You know, I also thought the revelation from, uh, from Aaron, Aaron Deveni about, you know, the former head of the RMV, about the fact that before 2016, it sounds like the state had never processed out-of-state paper notifications. Again, uh, very alarming. Uh, so... For in a lot of ways, in a lot of respects, there were a lot of the con- the testimony contradicted itself. Uh, there was a lot to be concerned about there, and quite a lot to unpack. I I thought it was also interesting that quite a few of your witnesses said they and their colleagues were aware this was a problem or where there was a problem, but every effort where they tried to run it up the chain of command or maybe outside the agency. Um, at least as far as we know now, didn't succeed. Or, you know, a memo was prepared to go outside the agency to the governor's legal office and the Department of Transportation's legal office, but apparently it was never sent. Um, what do you make of that? 
it, that was very troubling, and, and quite frankly, I don't think we know exactly what happened there. You know, the, the secretary claimed that that memo was never sent, that uh, what I could surmise is that there was a draft of the memo in, in their email inbox, and that was the memo we were looking at, but then there was a claim that it was never sent. I mean, that felt odd to me, uh, but there was contradictory testimony there that needs to, that in and of itself is alarming, but needs to be unpacked and, and figured out. Um, you know, the, the, just zooming out, you know, it was a, it was an alphabet soup of agencies, you know, DCU, MRB, uh, RMV, this one, that one, back and forth. What was clear uh, from the top is that a culture had developed where this was not a priority. And there was a clear warning signs along the way, and there were red flags along the way, and there were audits that had flagged these issues. But for whatever reason, uh, the can was kicked down the road, and it wasn't made a priority uh, to get that backlog resolved. And I think it's also worth pointing out that after the tragedy uh, and after there was uh, an explosion of media attention, uh, they they closed that backlog in a few days uh, and they surged resources and they had people come in over the weekend and working around the clock to, to get the to get the backlog closed. But, you know, I thought another alarming element of this was when uh, when it was shown that there was literally a photo taken of dozens and dozens of boxes stacked up in a hallway you know, languishing at a hallway somewhere in an RMV building, uh, and that was sent to the head of the MRB and was sent to the head of the RMV saying, you know, here's the boxes that, that need to be dealt with, and, and they weren't. So uh, it, was, it was a breakdown all along the chain, and uh, it, was a quite, it was a quite alarming, you know, set of, set of events and, and revelations over the course of seven hours. The former registrar, at one point, um, from what I understand, started talking about maybe why she didn't uh, raise this issue with others or call for reinforcements, if you will, to her superiors. And I don't remember the exact quote, but the tone was, you know, we need to live within our, our means at the agency. We're not, we're not going to just sort of cry for more all the time. Um, that was an intro. If I've characterized that correctly, maybe I got it wrong. But correct me if I'm wrong. If if that's correct, that's an interesting perspective on the head of that agency's attitude. Yeah, that was uh, an area of curiosity for the committee, as you, you could probably tell watching it. Uh, in, I thought Chairman Strauss and Chairman Bonkori and several other committee members really tried to grill into that and get a little bit of a better sense of what she meant by that. Uh, it, and and I'll, you know, backtracking the, the testimony from Tom Bowes went along the similar lines as he was claiming that there were uh, staffing shortages and that he had lost several full-time hires uh, and, that, and that limited his ability to get the backlog handled. But then uh, Secretary Pollock seemed to contradict that testimony when she spoke uh, because she cited uh, budget statistics that showed that the MRB's budget and staffing levels had actually potentially increased year after year over year over the, over the time that uh, Mr. Bose ran the MRB and, and Aaron Devenue is the head of the RMV. So uh, that needs to be figured out and there needs to be an understanding of whether there was a policy decision, quite frankly, to move resources and attention towards more of the customer-focused elements of the RMV's operations and to downgrade the back-end um, public safety components. We, we, we don't know that for certain yet, but it, it certainly seems to be moving in that direction, and that's going to be a line of inquiry that we're going to continue to go down. And that, that was a, actually a point I think uh, the governor made early on when this whole issue appeared, that 
the, the focus had been on the front of the office, sort of the customer-facing end of the RMV, and not on the back end of the office. And um, obviously that had a tragic, uh, tragic consequences in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a troubling revelation and it's something that needs to be developed much further. There's going to be a lot more questioning that's going to have to happen. More documents will need to be reviewed. I think the Grant Thornton audit that comes back will be a very important data point. I do want to make sure that that is a truly independent audit. It would be helpful to know their methodology. For example, were they able to speak to workers without their supervisors present? Were they able to keep um, testimony or interview notes from from participants uh, confidential so that people could speak plainly and, and openly uh, about what their observations were? Did they have unfettered access to the various agencies' records and personnel? There's a lot of questions about the audit, so we, we want to make sure that when that report is released, and they did make a commitment to us at the hearing that it would be public, you know, that the methodology is also public too, so that we can be assured that it was truly independent. And by the way, I'd point out, that does not replace or in any way supplant the legislature's independent review, which is ongoing and, and has already been quite exhaustive, as you saw, seven hours of testimony, and that's just the beginning. And I think Chair Strauss and Chair Boncori have done a really fantastic job conducting that, that oversight function and will continue to do a great job uh, moving forward. But it was it was very alarming. I mean, just zooming back out again, because we can get lost in the minutia of these various agencies and acronyms. This was a public safety breakdown, uh, and the result was quite serious and could be serious again in the future if it's not resolved. And the bottom line is, my main takeaway from that hearing is there were warnings, uh, there were red flags, and there was evidence that this was a problem. In fact, they knew there was a backlog and they needed to do something to, to fix it, which is why they moved the record management function from the DCU, headed by, headed, headed by Mr. Constantino, to the MRB, headed by Mr. Bose. So, you know, the, the fact that they made that move and that they tasked the MRB with getting the backlog closed showed that they knew this was an issue. They simply did not put enough attention to it or focus on it or resources on it uh, to, make it, to, make it an, to make it something that could be solved right away and, or, or even in, a, in, a, in the medium term. I mean, it, it just sounds like there was, a, there was a complete lack of urgency or attentiveness to this. And do you have any theories, or is it too early to say, do you have any theories about what, what you think happened or why this happened? Uh, I think we're still developing that. I think that the sort of broad theme that began to emerge from the hearing was that there was not a focus on these back-end public safety functions. Uh, you know, they're often the kinds of things that don't get a lot of publicity. They don't get a lot of attention. You know, they can be thankless. If you do a good job at it and everything goes well, nobody notices. Of course, if there's a mistake, the results are, are potentially disastrous. So it just sounds like nobody made this a priority and there was no accountability up or down the chain to make sure that these really basic functions, I mean, checking the mail, literally checking the mail, uh, was not was not getting done. Senator, I want to thank you for joining us. That was a great summation of what's gone on so far. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. My next guest is Paul Levy, who has a lot of experience running large public and private sector organizations, including the Massachusetts Water Resources Authority and Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. Paul, you wrote an article for the Harvard Business Review some time ago that talked about something you dubbed the Nut Island Effect. 
What is that effect, and how is it relevant to the registry of motor vehicles? Well, Bruce, what I noticed many years ago was that there was a small sewage treatment plant as part of the MDC and the MWRA where there was a great sense of purpose and camaraderie among the people working there, but they were failing to do their job correctly um, because they had adopted certain rules of thumb about how things should work, and they had become isolated from the rest of the world. And therefore, they undercut their own sense of mission by improperly running the facility. And I looked into it. Why did this happen? Well, it happened in part because over the years, they had asked for more help. They had asked for more staff, for more money, for other support, and they were ignored because their portion of the, of the uh, agency was viewed as a backwater and it just wasn't that important to the stuff that would otherwise make the headlines. And so they gave up asking, and they made up their own rules, and ultimately they failed disastrously. Now, I've seen this kind of phenomenon, and since I wrote the article in the HBR way back in 2001, I think it was, um, I've received notes from people all over the world saying, how did you know about our place? That's <laughs> happening here. And they were talking about government agencies, they were talking about hospitals, they were talking about private corporations. So it seems to be a pervasive phenomenon. And it does seem to have a lot of parallels to this issue at the Registry of Motor Vehicles because they also at various times talked to, it internally talked about the need for more money. Although there's some dispute, the Secretary of Transportation says their budget did go up, but whether it went up in the areas of the agency, these sort of hidden niche parts of the agency that the governor, I think, is called the back end of the office, not the customer-facing lines at the registry, but these back office functions, they maybe weren't getting the money that they needed. Well, whether they're getting the money or not, if there was an attitude that we're not going to get any help and therefore we kind of give up, then there's, a, there's the opportunity, and apparently occurred in this case, where some important public safety function gets left behind. In the case of Nut Island, they were polluting Quincy Bay unintentionally. I, I, this they is, thought they were doing good things to keep the plant going, but in, in the end it, it had a sort of negative effect on the environment. Exactly. And I, I, I have no doubt that the people working in the registry are well-intentioned and indeed trustworthy people who are trying to do a good job. Nobody goes to work every day saying, gee, how can I mess things up and, and jeopardize the public well-being? Nobody does. But after a while, psychologically, you just kind of give up or you focus on other things. And, and it's the job of the top management to make sure that kind of thing doesn't happen, to do, I would say, periodic risk assessments about the various functions that you're carrying out, the front office functions and the back office functions, and say, which of these are important now? Which of these are priorities now? What could go wrong if something were to go wrong? And uh, how do people in the various parts of the agency feel about how they're being treated? Are they being responded to? Are they being valued? And if you're not doing that as the leader of an organization, then someday, likely, something bad is going to happen. Yeah. But I, I guess it also seems almost like human nature. If you're running, you've run a lot of big agencies. So you're, you've got a lot of fires springing up here and there. And I would assume, I've never run a big agency like you have, but I assume you have to go rush to put out that fire and your sort of attention focuses there for a while. 
and maybe, oh, that seems to be working okay over there. I can, I can let that slide for a while. Isn't that a sort of natural? I think it's natural, which is why you have to be on the alert for it. You've got to constantly look at your organization and say, where are we potentially vulnerable? Yes, I'm spending my time on some of these more publicly uh, visible items, but I'm doing other things that are really, really important as well. Whether I'm running the tea or whether, whether I'm running a water authority or, or the, the registry or a hospital, um, it's those things that you forget about because you're distracted that are going to get you into trouble. So you need to build a mechanism, put a mechanism in place to make sure someone's looking at all those other things. In addition, you want to establish a culture so that people on the front line who feel that something's awry are not only permitted but encouraged to call out those problems to their supervisors and to the top management because they're noticing those things. And if they think you don't care or if they think it's too risky personally or professionally for them to mention it, guess what? They won't mention it. The guys at Nut Island, and it was mainly guys at Nut Island, gave up asking after a while. I wouldn't be surprised if some of the people in the registry likewise said, well, we've got this problem, but no one seems to care or listen to me, so we'll let it go. And, you know, um, I don't know what they were experiencing necessarily, but I do remember I go to a lot of the Department of Transportation board meetings, and occasionally the Registrar of Motor Vehicles would come in to report. And often, if it's pretty quiet, it's a written report, and you get it. But when they put in a new computer system, I think it was in 2018, maybe 2019 a little bit, but they, they had some problems with it, and lines mushroomed and, and tempers were flaring. She came in, Erin Devaney at the time, and there was a lot of questions and how are we going to fix this and what's our, what's our game plan, what's the action plan? Nothing about any other parts of the agency. And I, I could see, you know, from her point of view, my superiors are asking me all about this one thing. They don't seem to be that interested in anything else. So, again, you can sort of see how it filters throughout an entire bureaucracy. You can see it. Also, I should mention, often when you're putting in a new computer system, all you do is embed into that computer system the bad work practices that existed before the computer system. And, by the way, you've probably made them more invisible. And, and we've seen that happen in all kinds of companies all, all, all over the world. So I, I would say to people, when you're putting in a new information system, there's a good time to really review your work processes, not only in the, in the most visible aspects of your organization, but some of the more invisible ones as well. So I'm going to try and get you to step a little bit outside your comfort zone, <clears throat> maybe. But um, So right now, the legislature had this oversight hearing to try and figure out what happened there. Uh, the Baker administration has an independent third-party review by a company called Grant Thornton looking at what happened. And so all this information will be flowing back, and it'll probably be a lot of pointing fingers and who, who did what and who did what wrong. But you're sort of talking about a more management, a, a real management issue. Um, what do you look, as, as all this information emerges, what should the governor be thinking about? What you know, because he's at the top of this huge bureaucracy. What should he be thinking? Or what should he be looking for? The most sophisticated leaders of organizations put into place um, supervisors and other people 
who make it clear to the frontline staff of that organization that they are trusted, that their opinions matter, and that they're entitled and empowered and encouraged to call out problems so that they can be solved before they blow up. I would look to see that someone is interested in doing that. It's very easy in the body politic to just blame or to have somebody fall on their sword or, or whatever, and that gets you through the week or the month. But if you don't solve the underlying systemic problems and the cultural problems of an organization, um, another controversy or another crisis will emerge in a year or two or three or four, and they'll say, gee, what went wrong? And that does seem to be the modus operandi, not just in the Baker administration, but in state government in general. It does seem to sort of lurch from one crisis to another, not maybe an overarching crisis, but at one agency, this happens. I mean, not too long ago, it was DCF, the Department of Children and Families, and and then that faded a little bit. And, and it does seem to be a recurring problem in government. Well, it, it's part of the nature of being in government and, and of the press coverage you get when things go wrong. And, and there's always someone in the opposition who is trying to point fingers and, and ascribe blame and so on. But you need to take a long view of it, and you need to, as I was saying, you need to think about what is it about the culture of the organization that's contributing to the problem? And who can you hire as a leader of an agency or a cabinet member or whatever who can focus on that problem as well as the day-to-day headline problems? Paul Levy, thank you for joining us today. And to all our listeners, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. (laughs) 